You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. We got a good one for you today. We're going to talk with Rob Beach. Rob's done about 150 motorcycle tours. The anatomy of a guided motorcycle tour. Rob Beach is one of the lucky ones. He manages to make his living riding his motorcycle. And it's sort of a family tradition for him because back in 1972, his father had started the company that Rob now works at. But after guiding over 150 trips himself, Rob has a good idea what it takes to put together a commercial trip. Beach's Motorcycle Adventures. It's the oldest motorcycle touring company in the world. It's been doing tours since 1972, and they're already on their second generation running this company. So that's pretty amazing in itself. We're going to talk with Rob Beach, who has done, well, well over 150 tours so far. Been doing it since he was about 20 years old. So tons of experience here. And what we want to talk about today is the anatomy of a guided trip. What is it all about? I mean, why should you take it or why would you choose not to? Rob, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Good afternoon, Jim. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. So where have we caught you now? I am at the office looking out the window at the Niagara River. Uh, the great white north of Ontario, Canada is right across the river, and it's a beautiful view as the sun sets. Tell us, where does Beaches do its tours? Uh, currently, we're primarily focusing on Europe. Uh, we've been doing Alpine tours since 1972, and the 2015 schedule is taking us through the Alps on a number of different itineraries, and then as far south as Sicily. We've got uh, three different Italian tours scheduled for the coming season as well. Now, I know not all tour companies operate the same, so just so people know what we're talking about here, tell us roughly how do your trips work? Basically, any guided tour has certain elements that are similar, um, and there are quite a variety of tour companies out there now who are doing really good jobs. Uh, the basic idea is that the accommodations and uh, airport pickups and things were all prearranged. You arrive in the destination, you're picked up by a representative of the company, um, delivered somewhere to a hotel, presented with a motorcycle, and away you go. One or two weeks later, when it's all finished, you uh, are taken back to the airport with memories that are unbelievable, and home you go. So that's a basic idea of a guided tour. Um, there are quite a few variations within that as far as how things are actually done. We make a point to try to allow a variety of possibilities for someone. It's not a guided tour in the sense that this is the group, these are the 20 people you'll be riding with, your position is number four in line, and you will please stay there, uh, because that's the safe way to group ride. <laughs> quite, quite the contrary, we are making a the big effort here to provide you with quite a variety of information before you depart from home and quite a variety of information once you actually get to the destination on what's going to be happening 
what possibilities there are. And uh, from there, it's a pretty much hands-off. You can follow the tour guide. You can head off on a route of your choice, be it a long route or a short route. Um, it's basically your vacation, so it's not something that's prescribed by us. It's simply basically staged by us. What advantage is it to a person to take a guided trip, uh, especially if, they're, if they don't have an extended amount of time to go on vacation? Um, what's the advantages of taking that guided trip as opposed to going on their own? First and foremost, of course, is convenience. Um, in order to really immerse yourself in a place, there is some level of research that needs to take place before you're going to go. And that's one of the things that we're presenting to you in the pre-tour information. And our tour book, as an example, for most of our tours is about 250 pages long. And that's written specifically for the tour that you're on. So you've got a pretty good idea each day of what the different routes are going to offer, um, what the different options are, times and distances, etc. So that's research that you don't have to do. Very simply, there's nothing that I do as a tour guide that an individual who was interested in traveling on their own couldn't do themselves with enough time and enthusiasm. So, you know, to say that a guided tour is the only way to do it is, is a preposterous statement because an individual who is interested in traveling to the same places that we go could do the research that I've done and uh, come up with wonderful rides. We just save them a whole lot of time. <laughs> sure, but what kind of advantages do you get by having a guide? Uh, the little roads, the first-hand information on places to go, places to stop, places not to stop, um, what kind of things are coming up, you know, on any given day, uh, the flow and ebb of, of our uh, physical, physical situation changes. And hey, today I'm ready to go off and tackle huge roads and big mountains and zillions of corners, and I want to ride all day because I'm just full of it, let's go. And another day, hey, I'm a little off and I, I need an easier ride today. I'm just having trouble concentrating. Uh, that's the thing that a guide can offer is first-hand information on, hey, today, given your situation, you want to go this way. And by the way, here are a couple of places that are really cool to stop. Or you want to go this way, and I'd tie that in with this other little loop over here, which is really amazing. So that's, that's the first-hand knowledge that the guide can offer um, that you just don't have when you're off on your own. It doesn't mean you won't stumble across those places, but gee, if you've got a an itinerary scheduled and you've got a hotel down the line somewhere and it is that long, difficult day, but you're, uh, your, your physical situation isn't up to it and you're tired and you're not concentrating well, then that turns into less than, less than amusing. There's a lot of people out there who say, well, that's great. You know, the person spent two years on the road, but I don't have two years. You know, I'm, I'm into my career or whatever, and I, I have just a short bit of time. This is really the advantage, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a short schedule, you can still have an adventure. You can still see something spectacular and go to incredible places. And this is sort of the out. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it's, it's worth looking at exactly how whatever tour you're planning on taking is actually structured, because there are some companies that will very definitely try to keep everyone together in a group and uh, the experience is a group experience. And if you happen to be the kind of rider that enjoys that, then that's a fantastic way to go. 
if you happen to be one who would stay away from that group tour because of whatever negatives there happen to be in a large group of motorcycles or whatever it is, um, then you want to make sure that whatever company that you're going with is going to encourage and support that kind of riding on your part. So if someone is deciding that, that you know they want to consider taking a, a guided trip, for instance, what sort of things should they look for in the company when they're, when they're deciding they want to go? Um, reputation, um, how long they've been around. There are a number of excellent tour companies that have been running tours uh, for quite a while, so we're not the only ones. Um, I have my personal thoughts. <laughs> but we're not the only people that are doing good tours. Um, the places that they're going, if they are in uh, sync with the areas that you're interested in traveling, and uh, the general, I guess the general tone of the company, really and truly. If Again, if you're into group rides and that's how you ride normally is in a pack of six or seven or nine motorcycles, um, then you would be very comfortable with certain tours. And if you're the lone wolf who wants to head off on your own, then there are other tours that would be more attractive to you. Uh, and then, of course, price. Um, cancellation. Cancellation uh, options and, and exactly how that's handled because that varies considerably from one company to the next. And, uh, and then just go. I think the biggest thing is go. Travel. Whether it's with us, with anybody else, there are places that are absolutely remarkable. And uh, traveling in a foreign country on a motorcycle is a brilliant way to see it. Absolutely brilliant. And, uh, so go. If I was to decide to take a trip with a, a guided company, really all I have to worry about in most cases is um, just my passport, isn't it? And, and a flight to get there. Mm -hmm. Your passport, your current, uh, current motorcycle license. Some places require an international license. Uh, which is something that you actually get from your auto club, from the Canadian Auto Club or the American Auto Association. And it's simply a translation document that translates your current license information into a variety of different languages. It's not an official document by itself. It's simply uh, translating your information. And there are a variety of countries that require that. And it does make life a little easier because if you're standing with a local police officer with no communication, <laughs> anything that you can use to facilitate a little communication is very helpful. So one of the things we hadn't mentioned that, that always pops into my mind when it comes to comparing a guided adventure with a self-guided adventure, and now that there's a right or wrong for either one, both of them, I think it depends on the individual, probably the time you have, and maybe even your personality as well, of what you what you like as far as adventure and how far you want to stretch. But it's the backup, isn't it? Where if you have a problem when you're on your own, provided you have the time, it's great. You can sit there and wait for parts to arrive or figure out how you're, you're going to get things fixed. But it, it can be quite unnerving, too, being in a country that you're not familiar with, you may not speak the language, etc. But that's one real advantage, isn't it, with a, a guided trip? You have that infrastructure there. You have that, that phone number that you can dial up and you can say, hey, I need help. Exactly. Exactly. Um, of course, there, there is the German equivalent, for instance, of the Automobile Association, the ADAC, and they'll come and pick your motorcycle up and tow it to a shop somewhere. So it's not as though, at least traveling within Central Europe, you're on that much of a, an adventure, you're certainly not out in the middle of the Sahara. There is civilization everywhere there. But on the other hand, what you have to deal with in a situation like that is the fact that 
you suddenly have a day or two or three that's tied up with the repair of your motorcycle or just getting back on the road. And for so many of us, the time is the most valuable thing that we have. And to spend that kind of time dealing with a problem is uh, difficult. And on the other hand, with a guided tour, you do indeed have that backup. They have the knowledge of the dealers. And if you've got a problem with a motorcycle, which knock on wood doesn't happen very often at all on our tours, um, and most tours, frankly, most guided tours are going to have a very good fleet of motorcycles that are in top-notch condition, and uh, you don't actually have to worry too much about that. But if something does pop up, a few years ago on the BMW 1200GS, they had some problems with their anti-theft antenna rings, and they were giving up left and right and leaving people stranded with a motorcycle that wouldn't run. Uh, that actually happened to five different bikes that we had one summer. And what it amounted to in a tour situation was we pull up, pull a bike out of the van, hand it to you, and away you ride. And then suddenly, my problem. What it would have been if you had been hiring that motorcycle and heading off on your own adventure was at least a two- or three-day delay because that's how long it took for us to get those motorcycles taken care of in each case. It was really ridiculous. Um, so, you know, little things like that can, can throw a real wrench in, into your travel or something as simple as a, a small accident and a broken bike. I fell over in the parking lot and I broke my clutch lever. What do I do now? Other than that, everything's fine, except I actually don't have a clutch. <laughs> What what in your mind, and I know this is a tough question to ask you coming from the position you're in of, of owning and running Beaches Motorcycle Adventures, but what in your mind is the disadvantages to a, a purchase tour? Um, overall spontaneity in the sense that I'm over here for two weeks and I'm playing around and I had it laid out mentally that I was going to head to the north and go up to Berlin, but the weather is a little crummy, and so I'm going to head south and go to Italy. Uh, that's not possible on a guided tour, because the accommodations, of course, are pre-booked. Um, but for most people that are going over there for their first tour or two or three, or their, I guess their first ride, um, the knowledge that is presented in a very logical and timely manner makes things so much easier and uh, takes a lot of the pressure away. But the disadvantage really is, is taking away that spontaneity of being able to say, this is wonderful and, you know, I'm done riding for the next four days because this is the most magical place I have ever been and I'm not moving. <laughs> and you deal with these people too because you do rentals, right? Yes. So you're 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 also dealing with people who have set their own adventure and, and you're, so you're seeing both sides of the coin, really. Exactly, exactly. And I, I guess the thing that I will toss out there is a warning. Um, it's when people are thinking about a European tour, it's, hey, this is the one time, this is, this is my big adventure, my big European adventure. And so I want to get everything in. And they tend to over plan and overestimate what's possible. And I think that that's one thing that I would... Um, point out when you're looking at the guided tours and say, hey, well, this doesn't go anyplace or this doesn't 
doesn't go there and there, and I'd really like to, and you're looking at the map and saying, this is feasible, yeah, I can do this. There's a reason sometimes that those tours are laid out on the itineraries there are. They are. So, uh, you know, plan, plan your own adventure carefully to not try to take in too much because then you just run around like a maniac all the time and don't actually stop and smell the roses. And a lot of that comes from experience. Uh, I know coming from a tourism background with adventure tourism, um, we would uh, frequently find we have to cut back, uh, like head back to camp, for instance, if it was a day trip, uh, long before you've even reached the halfway distance. And that's because through experience, you realize that people get a little tired and then come the afternoon, you don't want to paddle as far, even though the energy is there. You know, people say, no, no, I, I want to keep going. You know, through experience that the best thing to do is to turn back now. So that's one of the things with a, when you're planning a trip for yourself, you can get very excited about it and say, like you said, you want to you want to cover these distances. But that's where, again, that that advantage of the of the guide, even the guide in itself, will have a better understanding of what is realistic overall. Exactly, exactly, and uh, that's really important because the European roads and and the mountain roads, particularly, are so vastly different than what we're used to in North America. Um, that it's very difficult to make a comparison. It's it's difficult to appreciate that the wildest road that we're riding here locally, our very favorite road, is comparable to what we're going to find over there, except it's incessant over there. You, know, you wake up in the morning and, and ride out of the hotel and start on roads that are similar to your very favorite road, and at the end of the day, be it four hours or seven hours later, you're ending the day on a very similar road, and there's just no let up. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Rob Beach is going to talk about setting up your motorcycle for your adventure. There's nothing like spending time in the majestic outdoors. The scenery is breathtaking, and it's a great experience. However, we do have an impact on our surrounding environment. Tread Lightly, a not-for-profit organization, promotes the responsible recreational use of our backcountry. For more information on how to minimize your impact while still enjoying your outdoor recreational activities, call 1-800-966-9900. This message is an outdoor public service announcement brought to you by this station. And we're back with Rob Beach from Beach's Motorcycle Adventures discussing getting your bike ready for adventure. Doing this many trips that you've done now, you clearly have bikes set up, <laughs> dialed, I'm sure. If somebody was going to be doing a, a trip on their own, similar to what you're offering in your commercial outfit, what sort of bike prep considerations should they take in? Uh, the first is the choice of model, small and light versus big and heavy. We are, as North Americans, very inclined to think bigger is better. That Goldwing, the Harley Dresser, the BMW RT or LT are fantastic machines on North American roads, but they are just way too much on European roads. And that, and that, this holds true on most European roads. If you get into some of the places in, in northern Germany and often the flatter areas of France, those bikes are, are just as useful and just as uh, choice as, um, as they are here in North America. But the idea of a smaller and lighter motorcycle really makes a lot of sense because you're running around on roads that are quite a bit smaller, on angles and pitches that are very different than we're used to here, and not wrestling with a big bike is a huge advantage. Well, what bikes do you use on your trips? 
We are uh, a preferred BMW travel partner, so ta-da, we're riding with BMWs, which were, of course, designed in Munich, and there is a reason that BMWs are designed the way they are, and it really starts to become obvious when we're riding them in the Alps. Uh, they're, they're just fantastic machines for what we're doing. But the smaller machines are a whole lot more fun and easier to ride than the big machines. Interestingly, I started uh, a tour well, three or four years ago on an 800R with my wife on the back, and I thought, this is going to be interesting. This is quite a small motorcycle for the two of us. And at the end of the tour, I contemplated the motorcycle and realized that for the two weeks previous, I had not thought once about that bike. At the end of the day, the motorcycle never entered into any of the stories that I was telling or or memories that I had of the ride, that I never thought, gee, you know, that road would have been more fun if I had more power, or I would have been a little safer in that situation if I had more brakes, or, boy, that bike was hard to push around in a parking lot. It was just, at the end of the day, a no-brainer, because the motorcycle wasn't, wasn't in my psyche at all. And what I realized was the perfect tool is one you never think about. It's one that doesn't actually call attention to itself. It's one that gets the job done, but doesn't call attention to itself. And for European riding, the 800 series BMWs are fantastic machines. Uh, they're certainly not as, as big and, quote, comfortable as we're used to, but the riding is so different that uh, they really are the proper tool for the job. And BMW's 1200GS, of course, is the one bike you'll see more of than any other model of any other bike in the Alps. Uh, there are simply more GSs there than anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Small versus big, what other considerations? Um, luggage. If you're heading off on your own, of course, you've got some very significant issues with luggage. And that depends how you're going to pack. depends an awful lot on where you're going and what you're doing. Um, if you're going off on a tour that keeps you on the road on a regular basis, you're going to need some more luggage space. If you're traveling, in other words, from one hotel to the next, day to day to day, you need a bike that has a bit more luggage space. If you have uh, a couple of days in one place and you're heading off from a given hotel, you can certainly get by with a very different luggage setup uh, where you could leave, say, a big duffel bag that you had strapped to the luggage rack on the way to a particular hotel in that hotel for the next two or three days when you're riding in the vicinity. But luggage, of course, is, is something that, that is important. And one of the things that's wonderful about current riding gear is that there's so much super, almost all-season riding gear available that you're not necessarily packing gear um, as much as your evening clothes and things. So it's not such a problem because you can get super suits that are good from 30 degrees up to 70, for instance, and uh, simply pulling the liners in and out or putting the rain, rain liner in, etc. Again, that's one of the things I think we didn't mention there when it comes to a guided trip, and I think you do the same thing. You're not handling, an, on most tours, you're not handling your own luggage. You're actually putting it in a van and running it ahead. Exactly, exactly. So you're actually riding an unencumbered motorcycle and being able to dress as a uh, an elegant tourist in the evening. <laughs> and that way the bike becomes the tool that you describe, which I think makes perfect sense. It becomes this this tool that you don't have to think about. It's not overloaded. So that's clearly an advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the 
it gives you the advantage of being able to take maybe a different camera than you would have taken if you were traveling on your own. Gee, I can really take this big camera and I can spend some time shooting some great shots or I can take this video that I wouldn't have taken otherwise or whatever. I read somewhere about um, your tours, at least when you guys started out, that the tour cost included a brand new BMW motorcycle. Tell me about that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well, I I don't know if the numbers are exact, but I think that they're pretty close. I think that Dad's first tour in 1972 had a price of about $2,895 on it, and that was a three-week tour with all of your accommodation and all of your evening meals and breakfasts. It had airfare included, and it had a new BMW R60-5 with return air freight for that motorcycle back to North America. And when you returned home, the bike itself was worth $3,000 on the used market. So you could literally go to Europe for free. Are you still doing it? Uh, no. Unfortunately, BMW no longer has the overseas delivery program in place, at least for Americans. Uh, I think that there is still an overseas delivery program for Canadians, but I'm not positive about that. Um, so unfortunately, A, it's not available at all, but B, it's also no longer the price advantage that it was in 1972 when the Deutschmark was still in effect and it was uh, trading at about four marks to a U.S. dollar. So we had a tremendous currency advantage at that point that is no longer there. When you send out your trip information for someone who's booked on a trip with you, how are you telling them to pack their gear? Well, we give them a general rundown on uh, on riding gear but and do definitely recommend heated gear because it's the easiest... Um, to pack. It's the smallest for the net result that you get out of it. Um, there's there's no other piece of riding gear that you can use that it will actually put heat back in. There are many that will effectively trap the heat that you're putting out, but uh, when it gets really cold or if you've waited just a little too long to put it on, you're still uncomfortable, whereas that heated vest just plugs in and turns you into a very, very happy and safer rider as a result of that. So, yeah, I'm a strong believer in heated gear, but I, I don't think it needs to necessarily go any further than a heated vest because the BMWs have heated hand grips and most of the machines that we have have hand shields and the combination of the hand shields and the heated grips uh, keeps your hands fairly comfortable if you've got good gloves. So it's really keeping the core warm. And uh, my recommendation to anybody who's out there riding on a regular basis is if you don't have an electric vest, get one. When preparing for any motorcycle adventure, be it a guided motorcycle adventure or someone going on their own, um, what do you think is a, an important thing to practice or prepare for? From the years of experience, the one thing that I've seen is that riders in, at least American riders, are often reasonably unprepared for what they're getting into. The ability to ride in America and not have to concentrate too much is real. Um, <laughs> A question that comes up occasionally, do the motorcycles have radios? Uh, no. Well, I have to have a radio. Why? So I can entertain myself while I'm riding. Um, not necessary in the Alps because you're going to be quite busy riding. I, I think it's important that, first of all, people find the areas that make them the least comfortable when they're riding and work hard on improving their skills in those areas. If pulling away from a stop on a hill is something that you're not comfortable with. Please practice it before you go because you're going to be doing it regularly. If making really tight corners, uh, um, making a U-turn in the middle of a road, for instance, is something that you need to do with a three or four point turn 
and paddling your motorcycle back and forth, that's something to work on, are those tight, slow corners. If braking is something that you haven't practiced on a regular basis and you're not comfortable actually taking the motorcycle to the point that the ABS starts to react and kick in um, or right to the edge of wheel lock, practice it. What is happening on a motorcycle ride is something that can take your life in a heartbeat and it needs to be taken that seriously and unfortunately a lot of riders don't. They don't understand that uh, what they're doing is as demanding as climbing Mount Everest in a different way, but it's just as demanding, and the consequences are just as serious. So knock on wood, we've had a very, very good record over 43 years of riding, and we've had a broken arm here and there, a broken leg here and there, unfortunately, but uh, no big, big, serious problems in the Alps. And one, that's one advantage of having a, a guide along is that they can keep an eye out for you and offer some tips and writing suggestions in uh, circumstances that you absolutely can't come across back home. And you will find, for instance, hairpin turns, 12 hairpin turns in a row. Good Lord, what do I do with these? Well, here, enter them this way, start braking here, get around it, apply your throttle here. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I don't quite have it down yet, but in another thousand I will. And that's something that we can't practice back home. So, but it's it having a, a general concept of where your weaknesses are and actually working on them is probably the one thing that I'd say. Find out what it is that makes you the least comfortable and work on that because there's a reason that it makes you feel uncomfortable. And of course, your reaction when you are faced with having to deal with that is not going to be one of execute and pull over and say, whew, that was wonderful, it will be tighten up, paranoid, I can't do this, at which point you've just sealed your fate, <laughs> and you won't do it. You will have a problem. You know, so a lot of that is, is low-speed control. It's one thing to get on a straightaway. I mean, anybody can get on a straightaway and ride a motorcycle down. It's that low-speed control, really learning what your bike does when you start to turn around, etc., that, that you have to pay attention to. It is, actually, and, and it's interesting because... The Motorcycle Safety Foundation course in the States is riding around slowly around cones and, and taking tight corners and, and all of the things that as soon as we get off on our North American roads, having passed the course, we don't do much of anymore. Because here, uh, when a hotel is constructed, the first thing they do is bulldoze the entire area. And then they build a building and pave around on this freshly leveled and bulldozed place and so you've got this nice, big, level parking lot. In Europe, they dig a hole, they put in a foundation, they build a hotel, and then they pour the, pour the, uh, or lay, the, lay the parking lot around the hotel where it's convenient at often whatever the pitch of the ground happened to be before they dug the hole. So you get these uh, situations where you're pulling into a parking area and there's a five or eight degree or a five or eight percent grade to it, which we're not used to anywhere here. I mean, everywhere we go is level. So if you're coming to a stop and you need to have both feet firmly on the ground when you come to a stop, it's time to think about that. And it's time to think about that slow speed handling and actually being able to come to a stop and put only one foot down to have that level of control. And it definitely is the, the slow speed control that helps the most because most of the accidents that we have are not crashes. They're simply somebody dropping a motorcycle in a parking lot somewhere. 
Rob, who should and who shouldn't take a guided tour? Who should and who shouldn't? People who are very antisocial should not. Again, it depends an awful lot on the guided tour. If the tour group is expected to stay together throughout the duration of the tour, and that is how everything leading up to the actual tour itself is presented, then you want to be sure that you're comfortable with that. You want to be sure that you're comfortable with two weeks in the middle of a group of the same people. I think that that's one of the things that we have worked so hard on is to make a tour that's interesting for the person that wants someone there to hold their hand and for the person that is uh, willing to kick off on their own and be a bit adventuresome. We've really presented the best of both of those worlds. So it's, it's, that's a tough question to answer, Jim, um, with the exception of my very first answer, because a good guided tour can make it interesting for most anybody. The other thing that is worthy of consideration is if you have to ride in a group on a regular basis, are you a very slow rider in comparison to your friends? Or are you a very fast rider in comparison to your friends? And uh, are you comfortable adjusting your speed to whatever the speed of the group will be? Because that is necessary in a group environment. People really need to figure out what they want out of the trip and then try and find, like when they're looking through the companies, they need to look at them and see how they're running their trips because it's not just about looking at the pretty pictures. It's about, does this trip run the way that I want to ride? And like you said, if you're not a social person, then maybe you don't want to look at this. Um, But it, it depends on what you want out of your trip. And that means researching a bunch of companies. Exactly. Exactly. And talking to people that have been on them is a great idea. And you can understand that on any given day, you could have very, very different interests and motivations than you do on the next day. Today, the only thing I want to do, it's a gorgeous, beautiful day, but the only thing I want to do is putter along and stop and take a thousand photographs. So I'm going to be riding along and uh, pulling over every chance I get and hopping off my motorcycle and going to find that neat angle and play with my camera a little bit because I'm here in this photographer's paradise. And the next day, hey, I'm ready to go for a ride, and all I want to do is scrape foot pegs. That's the kind of rider that you are. That's the the way that you deal with your vacations and your trips. Uh, You need to have a tour that is going to cater to that versus this is the way we go, and this is how we go. And on the other hand, if you don't want to think at all, you need to also make sure that the group is going to be riding distances uh, that you're comfortable with and, and that the day-to-day itinerary is sensible for you to not be too long in the saddle. And I think that most of the guided tours are pretty well targeted to riders' abilities. At least the companies that have been in business for a while have worked it out. They've worked out their itineraries to be paralleling their clients' needs. So we get guys from South America who ride very, very differently and have very different interests than the riders from North America. Uh, They want to go out and do things in an entirely different way than than North Americans do, because their background and their experience prior to coming on tour is very different than what we're used to. So their expectations are different. Rob, before I let you go, i got to ask, what's it like for the uninitiated of us? What's it like to ride in the Alps? Well, the comparison that I give everybody at the beginning of the tours is the Rockies, the Rockies and the Alps. The Rockies are somewhere near, I don't know, 3,200 miles long. 
and 350 or 375 miles wide in places. And through that mountain chain, which if you superimpose it in Europe, goes from Norway to Spain, there are 25 major mountain passes. The Alps are an area that are the size of Virginia and West Virginia, about a 660-mile 600, arc, uh, 170 miles wide in the widest place. And there are over 220 major mountain passes in the Alps and quite a few other places to the tune of about 1,200 other places that you can get up to the end of dead-end roads there. So the difference between the Alps and the Rockies, for those who have experienced the mountains there, is the Rockies are mountains you ride past and look at. The Alps are mountains you ride on and look from. It's unbelievable. I've been riding there since I was, actually since I was 17 years old, and a passenger on a bike when I was 13. I could probably draw a picture turn by turn to scale of most mountain passes in the, in the Alps, having been over them so many times. And there are still so many times that I come around a corner and stop and just stay there and look awestruck at the view. And it's a view that I know, but I didn't see it in this light. I didn't see it with these clouds. I didn't see it with this, that, or the other thing. And holy cow, is it ever different today. And I'm still awestruck. After 150 tours and oodles and oodles and oodles of miles in the Alps, I'm still awestruck on a regular basis and can't wait to get over there. I've been speaking with Rob Beach from Beach's Motorcycle Adventures. And you can find out more about Rob Beach by checking our show notes at www.adventureriderradio.com. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. And hey, you don't want to miss next week because we're going to have a guy on that has made videos on YouTube of his motorcycle trips that literally millions of people have seen. And guess what? He's going to tell you how to do it too. Right here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, make sure when you're done listening to this one, you head over to our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and send us your comments. There's a comment button on there. You can fill out your comment and send it in, or maybe a show suggestion. Also, drop by our Facebook page and like our page, and send us a tweet. We're on Twitter at ADVRiderRadio. Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you by Canoe West Media. Special thanks to co-producer Elizabeth Martin. This is Alan Carl. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.